Uh, Nehemiah, we're going we're to read a passage from chapter 1 and a, a passage from chapter 2. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here today. Thankful for your promises to us. Thankful for your word, O oh God, uh, that, that never fails. And, and we believe the word that we've heard today, the testimony that we've heard today, uh, Lord, is meant for us to continue and to overcome and, and to push through because we believe, God, that you, the best is yet to come. And so we trust you, even when we don't feel like it, even when we're struggling, we trust you. And as we look to your word today, we ask that you would open up our understanding and our comprehension that we might apply it and use it for your glory. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Just as an introduction, I'm reading Nehemiah chapter 1, the first three verses, the words of Nehemiah, the son of that gentleman. And it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year, I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Uh, I want to read a passage of Scripture in chapter 2 also, verses 17 and 18. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. The message I want to share with you this morning is titled Overcoming Opposition. Overcoming Opposition. So, uh, again, I believe that the words that we've hear, heard here this morning kind of back up uh, what this sermon is meant to encourage you to do here today, is to overcome opposition. Now, those of you who uh, have kids or, you know, have kids that are in sports or had kids that were in sports or maybe you played sports at one time. How many of you played at least some type of sport growing up or was in the band or a cheerleader or majorette or a flag person or, I, I don't know, put the stripes on the field, you know, ran the chalk? I don't know. You did something. Most of us in some way or another were involved in a sport or some type of extracurricular activity that required something of us. And sports can really teach us a lot about life in reality. I mean, not only is it fun to play, although there are some coaches and maybe even parents who can suck the fun right out of sports. Y'all ever had a coach that you didn't like playing for? You enjoyed the sport, but you didn't like the coach. Anybody? Anybody know somebody like that? Um, you know, you enjoy, you enjoy what you're doing, but you have to fight against a coach that... that acts like that everything you do is wrong. And, uh, you know, and I'll be honest, as, as a parent, you're always kind of harder on your kids than you are with the other kids. Uh, we, we take Logan to a, to a batting uh, coach down in Elkview, and there's a guy that helps down there, and his boy is there. And, man, I watch his boy bat, and I'm like, man, I'm impressed. But his dad is like, that's awful. That's lazy. That's the worst swing I've ever seen. I'm like, swing's better than I do. And he's 10 years old. Uh, sometimes they can suck the life out of it. But 
um, we don't just have fun doing it. We, do, we learn a lot. And lots of times we don't even know we're learning it while we're doing it because sports can teach us how to compete and then how to, how to compete well. Um, I, I've, again, I've played sports with people who explode, who, who go get a little bit ridiculous, who, who take things to the fur, furthest extent. I remember we had, a, uh, we had a, a tournament over here in the gym to raise money uh, for the academy when we had a Christian school over here in the church. And there was a guy that came over and played with some team. He, he was ripped. He was like six foot five. He was a monster of a man. And we almost had to call the police to get him out of the gym. He went absolutely ballistic on a foul that got called by a volunteer person who was, you know, twi- the, the guy was twice his size. And so we're all standing over in one corner asking him to please leave. Could you leave, please? Get out of the gym. People get, get, you know, get carried away. But we learn how to compete. We learn how to compete well. It teaches us how to work with a team, how to work with other people, how to bring the best out of not only ourselves but our teammates. Sports teaches us discipline. It teaches us uh, that hard work matters, that practice produces results, that the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. No matter, and obviously that, that, that is something that, that translates into every single area of our lives. It teaches us how to focus, um, how to stay on the task, to, to, to recognize what needs to be worked on and work on it and not lose our focus. It teaches us endurance. It teaches us not to give up. Um, that's one of the hardest things you have to learn about sports. I mean, my gosh, it, just the fact that we're West Virginia fans has taught us to endure. We have endured hardship, yeah, right? It's always next year. It's always going to be next year. There's always a next year for every West Virginia fan. And so we, we learn endurance. We, we, we learn to, I, I know that there have been times that you've seen your kids in a game and, and they're all excited when they're winning and then when they're losing, they just shut down, right? But this teaches us, hey, you've got to push through. You've got to, you've got to keep going. Because coaches, in a lot of cases, are not just teaching their team how to play a sport. They're really teaching them how to be a better person. They're, they're teaching them how to be a man or a woman, how to be a healthy, responsible person, and, and to take what's given them and, and use it to learn from and to grow by. And this can be said about, you know, whether you're playing in the band or whether you're part of a cheer team or whatever that you're a part of, it's always going to teach you to look out for the needs and, and, and the desires of other people as well as to practice and press through and don't give up and endure. And it's the same principles we should follow when it comes to our education. If we're going to succeed in education, we've got to have focus. We have to have hard work. We can't give up. If we set a goal, then we have to stay focused on it. We have to press through. We have to, we have to know that it's going to take hard work. It's going to take time. These are all things that we learn throughout life that help us grow into healthy people. There are some folks that end up going on and they have horrible coping skills because they've never learned when they were younger how to press through, how to keep working especially in the day and age that we live in with what they call helicopter parenting, where we don't want our kids to ever bang their knee, we don't want them to ever fall down, they can't be out of our sight, they can't, they can't do anything without us hovering over top of them. It's like we consistently protect them from ever going through anything, and then when they actually go through something, they don't know how to cope, they don't know how to handle it. And so we turn to addictions and we turn to all kinds of things to find a way to handle or cope with life. What competition teaches us 
through sports, through extracurricular activities, through education, through anything that you do. What competition teaches us is that opposition is a part of life. You're always going to have opposition. And it's something that can either drive us to do and become better, or it is something that can make us discouraged and decide to quit. We learn a lot about ourselves. We learn a lot about the world around us by the way that we handle opposition. It's easy for us to enjoy life and to roll along and look like we've got it all together when we have everything together. Right? It's when things are falling apart. It's when things didn't turn out the way we wanted them to turn out. That's when we find out what we're really made of. That's when we find out what is going on on the inside of us. You know, we've been talking over the last few weeks, and we will consistently come back to this throughout the rest of the year about the challenge of our faith. We know that, that, that we have to be prepared for it. If there's anything that we've known as a Christian, we know that we have to be pre- prepared and know that it's a reality that opposition is going to come, and it keeps us from being blindsided when it does show up. Anybody that preaches to you a gospel that says you're supposed to just float to heaven doesn't know the gospel. Every part and every challenge is going to bring some level of opposition. It's always going to bring some type of adversity in our lives. And all of us can testify that anytime we try to do anything of significance or anything of value in our life, we have faced opposition. How many of you would agree with that? Anything that's worth doing is going to face opposition. Whether it's the deadlines you have to meet, or maybe you've got to have funds that are raised in order to finish your project, or you've got people that need to be organized. And you know as well as I do, as long as people are in part of it, there's going to be opposition. I mean, some of you are like, if I could just do everything by myself, I would solve all the world's problems. But the problem is, I have to work with you. You've got to motivate people. Or, you know, you're always going to run into those times where it's not working out originally how you had it, how you had it planned. It's not the way that you saw it happening. I mean, I, I, I've known of people that they've got a certain plan, this is how we'll do it, and as soon as they come up against a wall that says, well, we can't do it this way, they just quit. You know, instead of looking and saying, well, maybe we can do it this way, or maybe we can do it that way, or let's ask somebody else, see if they've got a different view. No, they just quit. Well, I guess we can't do it. Right? I remember when I was learning how to cut the grass. Dad used to take me out in the front yard and start the lawnmower and give it to me, and there I'd go. I'd get stuck somewhere and didn't know what to do. So Dad would just come over and take the lawnmower away from me and start cutting the grass. And then I sat on the porch and watched him. <laughs> yeah, it's got to get done. It's going to rain, son. You're taking too long. But you know, as well as I do, everything that you plan, uh, no matter how much you plan, and I'm not against planning, we should plan. No matter how much you plan, it's never going to be as easy as you planned it. It's never going to come out the same way that you always thought it was going to come out. That's why I always get a little bit leery about any kind of Bible teaching that says, if you do all of these steps, it's automatically going to happen this way. That's not true, right? I'm not saying that steps aren't important. I'm not saying that you can't learn to follow certain steps spiritually. But to act like that if I just go through a checklist 
that everything is going to be wonderful. The fact of the matter is, the whole reason why it's hard is because the enemy doesn't want you to go through those steps. The whole reason why you face the opposition is because he doesn't want you to get from one to five. And so a lot of us think, well, it's going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Y'all know as well as I do, you can't even plan a vacation without opposition popping up. No matter how excited you are about vacation, no matter how much you plan it and pack everything up, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be opposition. Yesterday morning, we're trying to get all the stuff together. Both the boys were playing a baseball game. We were supposed to be at the ball field at 8.15. I tried to gather some stuff up and the night before. I thought I was ready. I was not ready. It doesn't matter. You gather everything together. Everything's in a bag. Clothes are put together, and we can't find a belt. It's a belt. Where's the belt? Opposition. That's what you call, op- that's what you call the devil. That's the devil. The devil has Logan's belt. I'm going to be honest with you. I never found it but I made one. I made a black belt. Tell me, come and ask me later. I'll give you the five steps. And we all know if we have been a Christian for longer than five minutes, we know that there's going to be spiritual opposition. There's going to be opposition. The Bible tells us that the devil is an adversary. For a matter of fact, the word Satan itself means adversary. Um, he is an enemy. He's not a friend. He's not an encourager. He's an enemy. He's our adversary. His job is opposition. His job is to harass and accuse and impede. His goal is to steal and to kill and to destroy. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Christian life is a war, a spiritual war that opposes all that God wants to do in our lives and through our lives. And all of us can testify that we've experienced the devil's opposition, whether we are believing God for something or standing on the promises of God, or we are praying and asking God to move in our lives, or we're striving to be obedient to the Lord. All of us have, have faced the opposition of the enemy. If we haven't faced the opposition of the enemy, we might be on his side. Daryl agrees with me. The enemy knows how dangerous our faith is. The enemy knows how dangerous our obedience is. So his opposition is only a sign that we are doing something that matters. That we are someone who matters. The fact that the enemy opposes us is not just because he hates God, but because he hates what God is doing in you and through you. That he sees you as a threat Y'all know the story. One of my favorite stories in the book of Acts is the seven sons of Sceva, or however you pronounce it, their dad's name, Sceva, Siva, whatever it is. And they try to cast a demon out of somebody. They say, we adjure you in the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches, come out. They tried to do the steps. We adjure you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preached. And the demon answers, Paul we know, and Jesus we know, but who are you? Who do you think you are? Right? I think it's, I think it's awesome. No, no, obviously they knew Jesus. But what an awesome testimony that hell knew Paul. Hell knew who Paul was. 
And that, that's the kind of life that, that the enemy knows you. He wants to destroy you. He wants your faith. And I don't like to give him any credit whatsoever because the Bible says that, that he's under our feet, that he was defeated by the cross and the resurrection. I don't like to give him any credit, but unfortunately, we give him too much influence. We give him too much influence in our lives. So we have to know. We have to recognize. Folks, if you don't know this, opposition is coming. If you haven't faced it, you will. So when you get blindsided, know that I warned you. I told you. Opposition's coming, right? So know that, 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 that this fight is here. And the attacks of the enemy really just needs to be a fuel to motivate our faith. To motivate our faith. The attack of the enemy just motivates our faith to continue to trust and believe God. Now the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, just as a quick background... Uh, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, in, actually in the Jewish Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah is considered one book. But in, the, the books of Ezra and, and Nehemiah are basically the stories of overcoming opposition. They tell the story of the Jewish people in exile making their way back to the promised land after 70 years of captivity. And this was the fulfillment of the prophecy given especially by Jeremiah, but it was also prophesied by Daniel, it was prophesied by Isaiah. The Jewish people, as we know, they rebelled against God and they ended up being taken into captivity. Um, the, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom, there was a southern kingdom. The northern t- kingdom was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Babylonians uh, under Nebuchadnezzar, and they were all taken, in, uh, taken back. Many of them, a lot of the leaders and the influencers of the Jewish people were taken to Babylon. Most of the ten tribes of Israel actually... Uh, kind of assimilated into the Assyrian kingdom and somewhat disappeared. That's why they refer to the lost tribes of Israel. Um, but the southern kingdom, which included Judah and Benjamin, kept some form of identity even while they were in captivity to Babylon, and that captivity continued through Babylon, it continued through the Medes and the Persians, it continued through the Greeks, uh, and then obviously it even happened during the time of Christ under the Romans, There was certain levels of captivity that the Jews had gone through. At this time, they had gone through Babylonian and Persian um, captivity, and they were now returning to uh, the Promised Land. This this captivity had been hard on their faith. It had been hard on the identity as the people of God, but we still see God's favor even throughout exile. We see the testimony of Daniel and, and God's blessing upon Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and and God taking care of Nehemiah, a cupbearer, as well as Ezra, who was a scribe. And Ezra tells of the return to rebuild the temple. But Nehemiah tells of the return to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem under the blessing of King Artaxerxes to investigate and inspect the walls. His heart is broken, but with the help of faithful leaders and the prophetic words of Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, He motivates the people to rise up and build. He motivates them to rise up and do the job that they needed to do. Because obviously, if the walls of Jerusalem were not built up, then it was unprotected, it could be attacked, it could be retaken. And so they wanted to make sure that the city of God was protected and guarded. But guess what? There was opposition. Nehemiah came back, he was heartbroken, he saw what was happening... He motivated the leaders. The leaders, as we read in this passage of Scripture, they're like, all right, let's rebuild, okay? And it would have been wonderful if they could have just all grabbed a hammer and a drill 
you know, and got to work and built that thing, and everybody stood back and said, look how pretty it is, and that had been the end of it. But that's not what happened. There was opposition that rose up against them. Um, there is nothing that will raise the attention and opposition of the enemy like a desire to obey God. Folks, once you determine in your heart that you're going to obey God, expect to be opposed. Expect to be opposed. In the book of Ezra, the people also faced a lot of the exact same opposition. They even quit building. They were building the temple. Opposition came. They gave up. And Haggai had to come along and rip into him. If you read the book of Haggai, he's like, you guys are at home rebuilding your house, and the temple of God lies in ruin. He said, you're going to start putting all your money in bags with holes in them because you're, you are, you're taking care of your own place, but you're not taking care of God's place. There's a sermon in that. So Haggai rips into them, and they get back to building. But here in Ezra, Ezra, here in Nehemiah, we want to take a look at this. The same type of opposition rises, and it happens almost immediately. I read to you verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2. In verse 19 of chapter 2, and I love, I love this guy's name. But when Sanballat, his name's Sanballat. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing you do? Will you rebel against the king? So almost immediately, this opposition shows up. And then Nehemiah says, I answered them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build but you have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Nehemiah immediately, when opposition rises up, says, Shut your mouth. You have no portion here. You have no memorial here. You have nothing to add. Move along, Mr. Sandballot. <laughs> in chapter tw- 4, though, is where we really see the heat being, uh, really being put on. Um, if you look over in chapter 4, you can read through it or look through it later, but in verse 1, uh, Sanballat shows up, We're built, they're building a wall, um, and he starts mocking the Jews, he starts making fun of them, and when he mocks them and makes fun of them, it demoralizes them, it offends them, they get offended. Um, in verse 8, they come along and they, they literally threaten physical violence, we're going to show up and beat you, we're going to show up and, and fight you. Uh, they consistently disturb the work of the building of the wall. Verse 14 tells us that this was leading to discouragement and fear. In chapter 6, they pretend to be friendly, and they try to deceive through false promises of working together. They come and bring, like, fake peace treaties and say, hey, we actually, you know, maybe you're right. We want to help you build the wall, right? So they come along with these fake peace treaties that we want to help you. We want to we want to be there for you. They lie. They accuse. They even try to tempt Nehemiah to hide and sin against God. False prophets come along and prophetesses come along and start speaking false words to the people. They brought out all the big guns because they knew they had to stop what was happening. We have to know, folks, that anytime we determine to obey God or stand on the promises of God, 
or believe what God's Word says, you're going to have opposition. And Nehemiah had enough courage and discernment to see the lies and accusations and the false smears and the mocking of the enemy and not allow it to deter him from the purpose that he had been called to do. He had enough courage and discernment to know, I'm not going to listen to the lies and the accusations of the enemy. I'm going to do what I've been called to do. And I want to look real quickly at what the keys to their victory were. What they did during this time that helped them overcome this opposition that was taking place in their life. And it begins, first of all, with the fact that they had the promise of the Word of God. And it all began right here. This work was ordained and prophesied by God. It was purposed by God through the prophets, and Nehemiah stood on that promise. Nehemiah knew what the promise of God was. Nehemiah knew that God was going to send his people back to to Israel, back to the promised land. Nehemiah knew that God had prophesied that the captivity would not last forever, that they would not be exiled forever, that eventually they would make their way back to the promised land. Nehemiah knew that promise was true. And because of that, he could go with confidence. He could go with confidence knowing that nothing can stop the Word of God. Nothing can stop the promise and the prophecy of God. We may feel like sometimes in our lives that the promise is not coming to pass. But we have to continue to walk by faith until we see it fulfilled. We may not feel like God's working in our lives. But we have to recognize that if God has spoken it, He will perform it. Wednesday night we talked about the fact that He who's began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That He will bring His purpose to pass in your life. Christian, know here today, God is for you and not against you. And His Word is true. And what He has spoken, He will perform in your life. His promises are unshakable and unstoppable. And when you stand upon the faith of God's Word, Nehemiah could go with confidence, knowing, I know what the enemy's saying. I know what their mockings are. I know what their accusations are. I know what their fake prophecies are. But I know what God's Word says. And I'm going to stand on God's Word. Because we have to have a little bit of discernment. Because you're always going to hear a thousand voices when you try to obey God. You're always going to hear a bunch of people telling you which direction you need to go in. You're going to hear it from people in the pews. And you're going to hear it from people in the world. You're going to hear it from the news. You're going to hear it from everywhere. We have to have some type of discernment. Because if we don't, then we find ourselves in a spiritual state that's hard to get out of. Nehemiah stood upon the promises of God. Number two, they prayed. Man, I know this always sounds so simple, but this is one of the things that we leave out of what we do for God. We get involved, and maybe we're obeying God, and maybe we're doing things, and we stand on the promises of God. We might even confess Scripture, but we forget that the whole purpose of what we go through, whether it's facing opposition or whether it's God answering our prayer, everything that we go through, every blessing as well as every battle is meant to draw us closer to Him. Our reward, I've said this a hundred times, our reward is the presence of God. It's not the answer to our prayer. It's not the blessing. He is the blessing. The reason why some people walk away from God and backslide is because they have not sought God to be the one to satisfy them. They've looked for something that can be given to them to satisfy them. I'm grateful that God answers prayer. I'm glad and wonder, I'm blessed in so many ways because he blesses my life. 
But I need you to know, I am made righteous simply because of what he has done on the cross and the resurrection, who I am. And the blessing of knowing him is what makes me who I am. They prayed. In verses 4 and 5, they pray, Hear, O God, for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Nehemiah knew that if you stand against what we are doing, you're standing against God. That you're not just fighting against what we are doing, you're fighting against the purpose of God. We have to ultimately know that the fight is in the spiritual realm. And we win this through prayer. It is faithful, earnest, heartfelt prayer that brings the power of heaven to our situation. When we cover things with prayer, it's what allows God's will and purpose to be fulfilled. Now, I know that cover things with prayer, that's probably one of those Christian terms that we use that nobody has any idea what you're talking about. Cover with prayer, right? But prayer is what we do as, as asking God, would you show your favor? Would you cover this? Would you show us your purpose as we continue to obey you? And through this prayer, God is guarding the work. God, God is watching over His purpose. God is watching over His plan. God is watching over His Word. And He will be faithful to perform His Word in our lives. So prayer is what activates the power of heaven into our situation that pushes back the enemy. It's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. If we don't mix what we do with prayer, then we grow tired, we grow weary, we end up doing it in our own strength, and we burn out. They prayed. Number three, there's five things. Number three, in verse six, it says they had a mind to work. If you look at verse six, so built we the wall. Sounds like Yoda speaking. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. <laughs> um, now, obviously, there's a lot of things we could say about having a mind to work. We are now in a day and age where finding people with a mind to work is hard to find. It's hard to find anybody who wants to work, uh, even when jobs are available. Uh, we were trying to hire somebody through the company that I worked for. We had eight applications, and three of them showed up. One of them... My supervisor even called him. He had his meeting was at his uh, his interview was at nine o'clock. My supervisor called him at eight fifteen to verify that he was coming at nine o'clock, and the guy said yeah, and still didn't show up. Still didn't show up. But I want you to know that faith has an attitude. Now I'm not. I'm not. Most of the time when we say you got an attitude, we're talking about something bad. But faith has an attitude. It, it has a frame of mind. Faith has a worldview, right? Faith sees things through the eyes of God's promises, through the eyes of God's character, through the eyes of God's uh, word. Faith has an attitude of recognizing that, yeah, it's, it, it's not going to be easy. It, it's not always going to be pretty. Battles are going to come. Fights are going to come. But faith is always holding on because faith knows what, where the victory lies. So faith has this. If you could go into every game, Knowing that you were going to win, 
without a doubt, that brings some serious attitude, doesn't it? It's like in, uh, uh, is it Back to the Future Part 3, where Will Biff brings the book from book forward that, that shows all the games and, and all the people, all the games that went. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So he just bets on all of them, becomes absolutely rich because he's got this book that tells him who's going to win everything, right? If you had that book that tells us that we are victorious, that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, then you have an attitude. It's not cockiness, it's confidence. Knowing that I can go into this thing with a frame of mind that as long as I am looking to please God, as long as I am looking to honor God, faith is always going to be motivated to work. It's always going to be motivated to obey. If we don't already have our mind prepared that it's going to take some hard work and endurance, then we have already lost the fight. If we don't go into what... And obviously this applies really in every area of our lives, not just spiritual things. Whether it's at work, whether it's with your marriage, whether it's in any type of relationship, whether it's in sports, and most definitely in your spiritual walk. If you don't go into it knowing and being prepared that it's probably going to take some hard work, it's going to take some endurance, I'm going to have to stand, I'm going to have to believe, I'm going to have to put my hand to the plow and determine that I'm not going to look back, then we've already lost the fight. If we don't go in prepared to work, then we're never going to get where God called us to go. Ministry is work, right? Volunteering is work. You just don't get paid for it, right? But anything that we do for God, anytime we walk by faith, it's going to take some work. And it doesn't mean, obviously, that works save us. I understand that's what I'm not, I'm not talking about. Salvation is totally of God. But sanctification takes work. Justification is totally of God. But sanctification takes work. If we, if we don't prepare our mind for this, then we're going to lose. In Nehemiah chapter 6, when they come back again and try to oppose them, Nehemiah says, I cannot come down. What an attitude. They're like, come on down, Nehemiah, let's have a conversation. Nehemiah's like, I don't have time for you. I can't come down. What I am doing is too great of a work. What I am doing is too important. What God has called me to do is way too valuable for me to come down to your level. I'm not coming down. You can laugh, you can mock, you can talk about me, you can accuse me, you can do whatever you want. You can lie to me, you can lie about me if you want to, but I'm not coming down. I'm on this wall, and I'm not getting off this wall because God has called me. This has to be our attitude. We have to have a mind to work. And number four, this is a very simple one. Remember. Remember. The the, the key to one of their victories here was that Nehemiah told them to remember. In verse 14 of chapter 4, It says, And I looked up and rose up and said unto the nobles and unto the rulers and unto the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them. Why? Why? Why why not be afraid? (laughs) I'm sure there were a lot of them standing around and said, I'm kind of afraid. I'm a little scared. These people are crazy. They're nuts. They're accusing us. There's a lot of them. There's a few of us. I'm afraid. But Nehemiah says, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. That's it. Remember the Lord. Which is great and terrible. 
and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your houses. Nehemiah said, I know you should be afraid of these people. There's all kinds of reasons why you should be afraid. But let me remind you. Let me remind you of whom you serve. Let me remind you of the awesomeness of God. Let me remind you of how great God is. The awesomeness of God made the threats of the enemy pale in comparison. And Nehemiah not only reminded them of the greatness of God, he's reminding them of God's faithfulness. He's reminding them of the fact that God is for you, that God is a part of this work, that that God is the one who's ordained this. God prophesied this. All we are are co-laborers with Christ. And that God is not one who does not see our work. He is faithful to bless and to cover and to push and to motivate and to bring to pass when we step out by faith. Remember, remember where you've been. Remember what God has brought you through. Remember what you have faced. Remember the battles that you have fought. Remember how God has been faithful. Remember the prayers that he's answered. Remember that you're saved. Remember that you belong to him. Remember when he healed you. Remember when he brought you through that dark time in your life. Remember! Because what the opposition is going to remind you of is all the times you failed. And all the times you messed up. And every sin that you committed. And every time you wanted to quit. And every time you even entertained the thought of giving up. He's going to remind you. He's going to remind you of every person you hurt. He's going to remind you of every time you didn't pray. Or you didn't read your Bible. Or you didn't worship. He's going to remind you. He is an accuser. You have to remind yourself of the goodness of God. Don't, Don't remind yourself of how great you are. Because you're not very great. But he is. He is great. And he is great through you. He does great things through you. God is not looking for great men men and women of God. He's looking for humble men and women of God that God can use greatly. God will use you greatly when you humble yourself under the hand of God. And remember, remember. Because, folks, what you are doing, as Nehemiah reminds them, what you are doing is not just affecting you. It's affecting your houses and your sons and your daughters and your spouses and your neighbor and your friend. Your faith may very well be what allows your children and your neighbor and your spouse to continue forward in their faith. Remember. And then finally... And this is to remind us of how this all comes full circle. Number five, they worked with a weapon. In verse 16, it says, And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both spears, the shields, and the bows, and the whatever that is. Yeah, I've never seen this word before in my life, and I've read this passage of Scripture a thousand times. H-A-B-E-R-G-E-O-N-S. Y'all look that up. And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which built it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. Now, Nehemiah starts out and says, half of them are working, and half of them are standing around with spears. But all of them had a weapon, and a tool. All of them had a weapon 
and a tool. Even the ones that were building and working on the wall, they worked with a weapon. They recognized that not only do they need to be prepared to work, but they needed to be prepared to fight. And obedience requires both. Obedience requires that we be prepared to work and that we be prepared to fight. Obedience requires the hard work of doing it and standing on the promises of God. And whatever God has called you to do, or whatever ministry you may be a part of, or whatever amount of money you may give, or whatever promise of God that you're believing for, it requires us to obey, it requires work, but it also requires us to carry a weapon. Because the work of God is always going to bring the opposition. The work of God is always going to bring the opposition, so we must fight to continue what God has called us to do. If we're going... Listen, taking a stand on the promises of God is a declaration of war. Now, I know we use a lot of war language when it comes to spiritual things, and obviously this is not in any way an encouragement to wage war on our society or our culture or on people. We know that our battle is against spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. Our enemy is, is not the opposite political party. Our, our enemy is not the media or, or, social, or, or social media itself. That's, that's not our enemy. Our enemy is not our neighbor, our spouse, our children. Our enemy is something and someone that we may not be able to see, but we experience his influence. And we have to understand that everything we do has spiritual ramifications. We live in two worlds. There's a physical world that we see and interact with with our five senses. There's a spiritual world that we may never see with our eyes, never hear with our ears, but is just as real as the one that we're living in. And every act of faith, every standing upon the promise, every time you get on your knees to pray is an act of war. And so we have to recognize that if we're going to be and overcome the opposition that comes our way in our spiritual walk with God, we have to have a mind to work and a mind to fight. The Jews didn't give up, and the walls were rebuilt, in spite of the opposition. And I will even say, they built the wall in the presence of the opposition. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He doesn't necessarily always drive the enemy away, but he lets me sit down and eat in the presence of my enemies. God sees your opposition, and I want you to know that. God sees your battle. He sees your opposition. And you know what? He may have even prophesied it. So know that the opposition is normally just a sign that what you are doing is just making the enemy mad. So don't quit. Because the Bible says that whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. You are born to be an overcomer. You are born to win. You are born to walk in the promises and the goodness of God. On this planet, and then when you leave this place, you get to rejoice in the presence of God your Father. There is no losing. There is no regret in faith. So stand against the opposition. Continue to believe. 
Continue to push forward. Have a mind to work and a mind to fight. God is working for you and with you in Jesus' name. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, we are eternally grateful, eternally grateful for the war that took place on the cross and through the resurrection. We are so thankful, God, that you are a God who has stepped in to the battle that we created, shed your blood to give an answer, a cure, a restoration, life for our death, forgiveness for our sins, grace for our brokenness. Thank you, Lord, that you are a warrior who has fought for our souls and fought for our hearts, and you have defeated the enemy, and you have declared your victory. And, Lord, we walk in that victory here this morning. But we know, God, that life is full of opposition. We know that life always throws us curveballs. We know that we get bad reports. We go through uncertain times. And fear grips our heart. And I'd like, you know, all of us would probably like to stand and say that we've always stood by faith. That we never feared. That we never thought about quitting or giving up. But I'm grateful, Lord, that even though we may have gone through those times in our lives, you have been faithful. And so we will continue to trust you. We will continue to trust you. And pray that, God, you would grace our hearts with your grace, with your forgiveness, with your strength in Jesus' name. As we keep our head bowed and our eyes closed really quickly for just a moment, I I only do this because I want you to stay focused on what the Spirit might be saying to your heart. I, I pray that you would take what I have said today and run it through your mind, run it through your heart right now, and that you would hear the voice of God. I would say that probably 100% of us in this room today are going through opposition, or at least have, or, or I know have gone through opposition, but there are some of you in here today, man, you just find yourself weary and tired and worn out. You've been standing, you've been believing, but it's just not happening. And you're weary, and you're tired. We want to pray with you today. We want, to, we want to help you. We want to stand on the wall with you. We want to help you pick your weapon back up. We want to, we want to help you get back into the, to the work. Because every one of us, every one of us are going to need this at some time in our life. Every one of us is going to need someone to come along, put their arm around us, and say, hey, walk with me. We're going to get to where you're going. So if you're burdened down here today, please don't miss this opportunity. To bring your burden to the Lord. If you want me to pray with you, I will. If you want to spend time at this altar, you can do that. But this may be the most important moment of your day right here. This opportunity for you to surrender. For you to give your heart. To pour yourself out to God. There's some of you here that you've faced opposition. It shook you off the trail. And maybe you even find yourself turning away from God. Maybe you even find yourself in a backslidden condition. God is calling out to you today. Where are you going to go? What are you going to go back to? Remember. Remember what He has done and be encouraged by what He will do. So if you need prayer here this morning to make things right with God, to get strength through opposition, we want to pray with you. So this altar is open. If you can and you will, why don't you stand to your feet? We'll sing this worship song together.
You obey God here today, and I know that He'll bless you in Jesus' name.